it's only through jitta bhavana or the practice of meditation that we can really have the chance to understand the Buddha's teachings or to experience the liberation from the defilements, the end of suffering, freedom from suffering that the Buddha's teachings were pointing to. When we come into the monastery and live here, then we have the best opportunity for practicing Jitta Bhavana. Because we have the peaceful surroundings of the forest and the minimal distractions of the forest to support us. We have Gaia Viveka, seclusion from the activities and problems of the world. Gaia Viveka gives supportive conditions for the arising of Jitta Viveka. The seclusion of the mind, of the heart. The peace that comes through practicing mindfulness, investigating Dhamma, letting go of the hindrances and the defilements. The Buddha always talked about the bhikkhu who practices bhavana and abandons delighting in and aversion for the world. This means abandoning, delighting in sense contact, forms, sounds, smells, taste, touch, internal sense contact, concepts, memories. The bhikkhu gives up delighting in sense contact gives up aversion for the objects of sense contact, thereby achieves peace of mind. This is very much the heart of our practice, developing this skill to abandon delighting in and having aversion for the world 
through our senses. This what this is what separates a bhikkhu from a lay person. If you think back to when you were a lay person, there's so much sense contact and generally so little mindfulness or investigation of Dhamma and all that sense contact is constantly agitating the mind, distracting the mind. It's only when we come into the forest and we practice meditation, keeping the Vinaya, living this life of simplicity, practicing mindfulness, that we start to see this process. Because as lay people we didn't really practice mindfulness in any great depth, usually, often didn't even see the effect of delighting in or being averse to the world. We just follow desires, whatever desires comes up, liking, disliking, we just follow it. Constantly living in the world of desires, concepts, images about ourself, about the world around us. Not realizing how much suffering this is producing, not having any real clarity on that. Then when you come into the forest and practice, suddenly it seems like Kilesas are everywhere. Desires are all over the place. It might even seem like there's more suffering than as a lay person. Because now finally we're practicing mindfulness. We're starting to see our desires delighting in aversion for the world and having to start abandoning them. So at first it can seem like a lot of trouble, this practice. More trouble than when we were lay people. All this trouble is started by our old foe, so to speak, is ignorance, ignorance of Dhamma, ignorance of truth, based on a lack of mindfulness, a lack of wisdom. Avicca Pacheya Sankara is the forerunner of all our problems and suffering. Ignorance of the Four Noble Truths ignorance of the path from moment to moment, day to day allows the mind to get caught into delighting in and having aversion for the world all the time 
when we start to practice mindfulness, it can seem like quite a struggle to go against this old habit, ingrained habit of avicca, pacheya, sankara. The mind always creating karma out through speech, through actions all the time. So you have to at least understand the principles of practice. Get the understanding right, the attitude, the view correct, so that we can have a chance to deal with this correctly. So we study the Dhamma, we hear the Dhamma, and then we have to reflect on the Dhamma and then bring up energy and effort in the practice to bring up mindfulness. The true effort in the practice is always directed to the arousing of mindfulness, sati. Using that as a basis for investigation of Dhamma. The dispensation of the Buddha, he always said, was Viryavada, the teaching of effort, energy, persistent effort. It's the flavor, the character of this practice. The most simple reflection we can have is on our our actions, our our practice. Is is this practice that I'm doing day to day, is it bringing up more effort, more energy? At this moment, am I bringing up effort, energy into the practice? Or am I becoming lazier? more complacent, more careless. The two main areas we're directing our effort in the practice of Jitta Bhavana first is just this quality of watching over guarding, protecting the mind through bringing up mindfulness. Sati, that that Dhamma that is never wrong, that's always useful, always to be developed, has the quality of watching, guarding over the mind. The other area we direct our effort to is the qualities that nourish the mind the wholesome qualities that come through the training, the kusala dhammas. So we nourish the mind through practicing the vinaya, training in korwat, keeping the training rules, following the practices of the monastery, developing the brahmaviharas in daily life, all the different aspects of our practice which nourish the mind with kusala dhammas. This takes effort. 
but these two areas of our practice of guarding, watching over the mind and then nourishing it with wholesome dhammas both come together to support the arising of samadhi the peace, the calm that comes through the presence of mindfulness where the mind is in a state where there's continuous, the continuous presence of Kusala Dhamma, wholesome states of mind. It's one definition of samadhi, it's just the mind is firm in wholesome dhammas. As we practice in the monastery then, this is these are the two areas we're developing most often most strongly you might say this is where our energy and our effort is directed the Buddha also said it's a teaching that leads to contentment another kusala dhamma that we have to develop again shedding our old habits as lay people and contentment comes through say, on the material level in contemplating the requisites developing a sense of it's enough with the four requisites sense of contentment with our dwelling place where we live the food, the robes we have, the bowl we have, and so on. And contentment to be practicing. <coughs> contentment with the Dhamma, with the Dhamma Vinaya, not fighting against it or getting too much caught into doubts or skepticism about it, but learning to be content within the Dhamma Vinaya. So if we have wiriya, we have contentment and we're developing mindfulness, guarding the mind, watching over the mind. And this is the way that we can put that teaching the Buddha gave into practice and giving up that delighting in and having aversion for the world. Or as Ajahn Chah said, we have to learn how to go beyond desires, not just always be following desires. This is why in the lay life it's so difficult to progress in the practice because you just tend to follow desire to the point where we don't see it anymore. It's just habitual, it's just normal. So only when you start to restrain desire, use mindfulness, use the Dhamma, use the Vinaya, then we start to see it. And of course at first it can be a little bit difficult, some pain, discomfort, some irritation, some difficulty, because we're starting to do something that we, which is difficult and that we haven't done before. 
suddenly there's kalesas everywhere. There's problems just because we're starting to go against desires. But we have no choice if we want to progress in the practice. Ajahn Chah is to say, if you're still practicing or following your desires, then you haven't really begun to practice yet. You're not yet really a bhikkhu. The bhikkhu at least has the faith to, to come into the robes to practice for the ending of suffering, the ending of samsara, liberation from samsara. They have that willingness to want to work with desire, seeing that desire is the cause of suffering. So in a retreat like this we have every opportunity to develop sati on a daily basis with very little distraction, very little complications, just the basic, almost necessary kind of distractions of living in the monastery, cleaning and maintenance a little bit here and there, very little other distraction. We have the chance just to keep turning the mind to develop sati using barigama pavana, using the breath, using bhutto, using the contemplation of the body, repeatedly coming back to sati, and repeat, repeatedly giving up our delighting in and aversion for the world. This is the only way we can experience any kind of peace of mind, peace from the hindrances, from the defilements, by a regular practice of mindfulness in all postures. The Satipatthana is practiced all postures, bringing up sati over and over again, As we do this, then there will be t some times when the mind does become clear and calm. When we do experience jitta viveka. This is where the mind really separates from its past karma, its past conditioning. How we were when we were lay people. Very little peace, very little separation from the defilements. It's only when we start to experience some calm like this, subtly, the mind becoming more calm, more steady in itself, that there's a chance for our wisdom to go a little bit deeper than normal. We've all gained much wisdom from our worldly studies of the world and even from Dhamma. We've read the books. But we have to accept the words in the books are just words on a page. They're not yet the real Dhamma. We haven't yet really seen those truths in our heart yet. The only way we can bring the study and the understanding we've gained thus far is by practicing mindfulness. 
So the most basics of monastic training is Indriya Sangwara, restraining our sense contact, meaning bringing up mindfulness and restraint, composure as we see things, hear things, touch things, taste, smell. Not letting the mind go straight into delight or aversion. Over and over again we practice this on a daily basis. Restraining the eyes, restraining the ears, and internally restraining the mind where it's wandering to what it's thinking about, the conceptualization of the mind. Moderation in food and the use of the requisites. And dedication to wakefulness, basically not indulging in sleep. Dedicating our mind to wiriya, bringing up effort to bring up mindfulness from the day, from the moment we wake up through to the moment we go to sleep at night. Moderation in eating, moderation in speech, not speaking too much, not eating too much, not sleeping too much. These simple reflections are leading on to this state of development of mindfulness that leads on to samadhi, supports the freeing of the mind from delighting in an aversion for the world. When we practice like this, then the mind starts to gather its energy inwards because we're not going out through the senses all the time seeking distraction, seeking more things outside which ultimately can't, cannot bring as much sense of peace or satisfaction. Rather the mind is turning inwards, gathering its energies inwards to look at itself, to look at this body, look at the mind and look at the five candors to see them for what they really are rather than always just identifying with them and grasping at them. If you're really having, going to have a chance to see their candors as they really are, then you have to have mindfulness. have to have enough peace of mind, enough clarity to be able to recognize candors as the, what, for what they are, to be objective, to see without bias, without the bias of liking, disliking or identifying with as a self. And the only way to do that is through the presence of mindfulness. You see when the mind does calm down and we have any kind of samadhi, there's this sense of the mind turning inwards and being more content within itself, not seeking a lot of other things outside of itself sense of internal enjoyment of the Dhamma, of the, the practice. And when we practice mindfulness, that mindfulness becomes more continuous, then it's enjoyable. Sukhavetana arises from that practice. That Sukhavetana comes as we let go of 
the delighting in and aversion for all the objects of the senses. And with that sense of internal peace, and then the mind is freer to actually look at experience in an unbiased way. It's not so caught up in feelings, pleasure and pain. Not so caught up in all the movements of the mind, all the sankara kanda, the movements, wanting to do things, get things. The mind starts to quieten down, become more still, so it can just see things as they are without getting so involved. The only way to achieve that state is through continuous practice, bringing up wiriya, bringing up sati. Keep bringing the mind's energies, gathering them back inside itself. Less and less concerned about the worldly issues that we've so been caught up with in the past. Little by little the sense of refinement of mind, the samadhi, comes up. When you practice like this, practice indriya sangwaran, you're bringing up wiriya, and you keep practicing focused on the mind itself, on the meditation object, and developing this state of mindfulness over and over again. There'll be plenty of times when we feel tired, have some discomfort, maybe a little bit hungry, a little bit weak, or some physical pain, or feel cold or feel hot. But if you're really sincere in training the mind, all this discomfort doesn't have to be a distraction, it's just something you go through. As Lung Tabua says, very much like a boxer getting into the ring, he has no time to think about any pain or discomfort that comes during the course of his boxing match. He can only be focused on the opponent, what the opponent's doing, protecting against the opponent, taking any punches but not worrying about the pain and just keep on fighting until can knock the opponent, opponent down. It's trying to establish mindfulness is like that. If every time there's a bit of pain, discomfort, you stop, well the mind's going to be so weak it's never going to get samadhi, is it? You know, a little bit of cold, a little bit of hunger, a little bit of pain in the body. If every time that happens you're going to get caught up in it, think about it, give up, go to sleep, seek distraction, will be very difficult for sati to keep developing. We have to start maturing our attitude and maturing our weary and maturing our patience and be able to take a few knocks as we practice. If you're practicing all night, there's bound to be some sleepiness. There's bound to be some discomfort. But you're training yourself, bringing up the wiriya, bringing up the sati. 
and you're very unlikely to die just practicing the whole night even if there is some pain or discomfort but what you gain is you gain patience, you gain wiria, you gain mindfulness and you gain samadhi you become stronger as the mind starts to rise above its normal weaknesses that come out into kilesa seeking distraction going to sleepiness, lethargy all the more unwholesome dhammas you become tougher mentally more endurance, more patience but it's not toughness without an end it's not just to be tough for the sake of being tough it's simply the maturing of mindfulness and wisdom as you're going beyond the more the weaker side of your character. This is something we have to train in. This is why we call it a training, a practice. You're practicing not giving in to the sense of delighting in or aversion for the world. You're bringing up the weary and the sati to go beyond that character, that quality of mind, that habit of mind. The more we can rise above the sense of delighting in having aversion for the world, then the more the mind becomes still and free from the hindrances and it can start looking with wisdom, investigating with wisdom to see the true nature of this body and mind, the true nature of candors. There's something like sanya, sanya kanda, so subtle, very difficult to see if there's no mindfulness. Sanya is like a, a film of, almost like a film of cling wrap or something that covers over our experience all the time. So every, every moment you, you see something or you feel something, Sanya arises at that moment. To just see that as sanya, as a sanya kanda, very, very difficult because it's so subtle. The sankara kanda is much more easy to see. It's got movement. There's movements towards and away from movements and emotions, all kinds of thought processes going on, conceptualization going on. More obvious to the mind. But sanya, very, very tricky to see so it's the source of so much of our delusion only when you're peaceful is there a chance to see sanya at work to see how sanya affects or colors all of our experience and feeds the sense of liking and disliking based on memory based on past experience that we've built up Sanya is so subtle and just every sense contact there's sanya there and normally we don't even question it we just take it for granted we just follow follow the meaning that it gives us the importance that it gives to the mind of whatever that sense contact is 
as a sanya over food, that cling film of sanya over our mind as we look at food, immediately gives us the impression that this food is something desirable, something good to look at, good to eat, good for us, pleasant, desirable, what we want. But if you contemplate Patigula Sanya, the opposite Sanya, the repulsiveness of food, then you're noticing, you know, getting under that film, the layer of the original Sanya that said it's all pleasant and good, and seeing, well, really in its nature, food is not so pleasant. When mindfulness is clear and you're investigating Dhamma, you're aware that food in itself very quickly goes off. Any food on a plate very quickly becomes unpleasant if you just leave it there long enough. The smell changes, the colour changes, the texture changes. Or even the fresh food that seems so alluring. You put it in your mouth and straight away patigula sanya arises, mixed with saliva, chewed up, going into the stomach, becomes unpleasant. As all the texture and fibres of that food is broken down, goes into the colon, comes out at the other end of shit, completely unpleasant, completely undesirable. Exactly the same food, but now in its other form. And yet, we ignore that simple truth all the time, and the mind straight away when seeing food has desire, based on one sanya, one kind of perception that we identify with and don't question. And so naturally we keep desiring food over and over again. This is the way we use mindfulness when we investigate Dhamma. We hold the mind, keep it still long enough to question and investigate and ask ourselves, is this really true, this sanya that I have? We don't have to think a lot, but we just hold our mind and look at it. Bring it up in our mind's eye, turn it over, contemplate more thoroughly. It's something that lay people never do. Lay people never sit down and eat a meal and think of it as Padigula Sanya. They never do that. But as monks, we eat in silence. We have that opportunity just to rearrange sanya, rebalance it, recondition it, bring it in line with truth. Every time you go to the toilet, stop. Consider the feces that dropped out of your body. If you do that once a day for your whole life, you become so wise Wisdom arises out of being mindful enough to stop and consider your feces, other people's feces, the feces of animals you meet in the forest. It 
just this simple practice will give you a change of sanya. This is breaking through avijja, pachaya, sankara, the underlying cause of all our suffering as human beings. Identifying with sanya, getting caught into delighting in an aversion for the world. can contemplate this body in just the same way, the patigula of this body, the grease on your hair. Even when you shave your head, you still get grease or oil coming out through the pores. When you wear a hat in the cold, you get sweat coming out on your head, you get grease. You wear clothes, they get greasy. You lie on a bed sheet, it gets greasy and smelly. If you don't wash your clothes, they become unbearable, unpleasant. If you don't wash the body, it becomes unpleasant. It becomes soiled. All the different liquids that come out of the body, the tears, the snot, the earwax, the grease, the sweat, the urine, the feces, all soils this body. Again, bring up the Patikula Sanya when you're mindful of it. You can investigate the body like this. It's not so pleasant as we thought, not so desirable as we thought in its essence. Or bring up the asupasanya. Contemplate this body. Bring up the contemplation of a female body. You have to be careful with this, not to turn into lust, but use the quiet mind. Bring up mindfulness. <coughs> turn it to contemplate the asupa of this body. Why do we immediately see a female body, a female form as desirable. How is that? It's just based on colour, shape, smell, sound, different aspects of that form. Sense contact based on that touch. But this is the delusion of sanya, isn't it? Sanya that hasn't been questioned yet hasn't been investigated. Anybody, male or female, gets older. As it gets older, it changes, becomes less and less desirable. When it dies, becomes totally undesirable. Any corpse, even the most beautiful person in the world, becomes undesirable. If you ever get the chance to go, you go to a funeral and see the corpse of a female, or go to an autopsy and see a female autopsy. This is changing the sanya that we automatically get caught into, into a super sanya. This forest we live in is actually a cemetery. 
you know, there's female animals, male animals, female animals, they die here. We, sometimes we meet the corpses, kangaroos, deer, even little bugs and birds, all kinds of things, dying every day. And death is all around us. And this is bringing up the anicca sanya, this existence we have of the candas, human candas, animal candas. When you see a corpse, nobody wants a corpse. It smells. It's unpleasant. It gets swollen, dries out, disappears, goes back to the four elements. Or even just people when they're ill, before they become a corpse. When somebody's seriously ill, then the asupasanya arises, and they're not so attractive anymore. People when they fall ill, maybe in hospital, skin can change colour, the body can smell, people get skinny, people get changed in different ways. Certain kinds of illness leads the body to swell up. It can be full of liquid if the body can't get rid of liquid in the normal way. It can swell up. The water element changes, deforms the way the body looks. Comes unpleasant to look at. Using mindfulness, contemplating, investigating like this, this is directly remedying our wrong perceptions, wrong views that affect this mind, affect our sense contact all the time. Contemplating the nature of the world around us, the buildings, the possessions we have or use or come in contact with, they're all impermanent. You get some new possession, but you also can contemplate how it will change and break up, disappear. When you're mindful in this way and investigating Dhamma, this is changing perception. It changes the way the mind reacts. It changes the Sankara Kanda, doesn't it? If you develop strong patigula sanya, super sanya. You no longer delight in the objects of your senses. You might go to aversion sometimes, or just go to sadness, dispassion. If you see a woman, but then you develop patigula sanya, super sanya, you know that person is going to get old, get sick, and die. It's their nature, the nature of the human body to do that. You might just bring up sadness. The sadness that a human being who lives in the world goes through the suffering of a human life. Instead of bringing lust up, brings up sadness. Then one can look back at last and say, hmm, this is not leading to anything good. This only leads to more suffering, more attachment. You keep bringing up the asupasanya, then lust naturally starts to wane, 
it's not so strong and that sanya isn't so strong we don't give so much importance to the objects that brought out lust in the past You develop patigula sanya with food, then you don't give so much importance to the food that previously brought up strong desire. You know it's just food and it's just the four elements in one way come together, gradually you get digested and broken down, go back to the four elements. This is the way we can start to change the mind, change this normal habitual identification with the five candors. Always just giving importance to every thought, every view, every feeling. Everything that happens, this is me, this is mine. And delusion manifests as that sense of self, it's sort of self-importance that latches on to everything. The only way to free ourselves from that is through developing mindfulness, the calm, peaceful states of mind, and then investigating Dhamma. And sometimes the mind isn't peaceful, very, very agitated, so may we just investigate straight away. We can't always do meditation. We can't sit still, we can't focus on the breath or bhutto. Sometimes you can use wisdom then just to investigate straight away in your meditation. You know, what is this? What's happening? How real are these thoughts that seem to keep taking over the mind? Are they really real in themselves or are they just a string of concepts, words and concepts and ideas? Just apply the three characteristics to experience, to feelings we have. You know, when you feel tired, you might think, I can't meditate now, I can't be mindful, I'm too tired. But stop and just investigate that first. You know, what is tiredness as a feeling? Where does it manifest in your body? Is it the different body parts that are tired? Or maybe they just don't really know anything. They're just what they are. They're just body parts made up of the four elements. Is it the mind that is tired? Is the mind really tired? Or is this just a mood that has taken over the mind? Tiredness is a mood. What's that like? Maybe it's characterized by dullness irritation, daydreaming, seeking distraction perhaps. As you investigate the mind itself, you see mm, it's maybe not quite what you thought it was. Maybe you even get more strength of mind just by investigating the very thing that is causing you an obstacle at that time. This feeling of tiredness, I am tired, can't practice now.
As the mind becomes more peaceful and there's more mindfulness, you can even be aware of the mind itself. Just start looking at the mind, jitanupasana, satipatthana. You get clear to yourself the mind that is defiled with some form of greed, delighting in attraction for what has brought up that greed, what conditioned that greed the mind that is arising with aversion, what caused the aversion, the mind that is deluded, what caused that delusion, the mind that is free from greed, what brought that on, the mind that is free from anger, what caused that, mind that is free from delusion, what caused that, having enough clarity, enough mindfulness to know the mind, whether it is defiled or not. Not to judge it or make any, give any opinion about it or any importance to it, just to know the mind that is defiled, mind that is not. There's greed or there's not. It's not like that there's always greed in the mind, always aversion in the mind. When you look at the mind, the states of mind, the causes and conditions that lead to that state of mind. And this is reflection on anatta, isn't it? If you can see that a certain state of mind had a cause, then it's no longer just, I am greedy, I am selfish, I am wanting this, wanting that. I am angry, I am averse. But you're actually seeing it as a state of mind with a cause. Seeing cause and result. And this is anatta in practice. You're seeing the mind and its objects as anatta. You're seeing the anicca of the mind. One state follows another state. But there's no constant one state of mind. Again, normally lay people are caught out by the sanctity of our existence, you know, the continuity of existence, where one thought leads to the next thought, one mood to the next, one sense contact to the next. They're always caught up with this sense of constancy, continuity. The body seems to always just be one solid thing going through life from moment to moment, but always in a sense, with a sense of continuity, the mind also. So they don't see an dukkha anatta. But as a monk, you have a, all the time in the world to sit down and recognize these truths and free yourself from some of the delusions of self. You know, when sati is really strong and mindfulness penetrates really deep and keep, you keep investigating, then you can start breaking up some of that identification with the candors as some kind of solid, continuous self. And you're seeing more the impermanent nature of this experience. And the mind naturally withdraws, separates from it then. sense of just knowing things as they are but without getting involved and this is when wisdom works very well 
to see the mind, just see the candors as as candors, without getting involved with them. Just see feeling as feeling, perception as perception, thought as thought, sense consciousness as sense consciousness, body as body. Just seeing in that way, just one time in a very profound way, where all the path factors are present. Sila, Samadhi, Panya, all there working together, that would be enough to completely change one's view of these candors. The mind would completely have a complete sense of separation, stepping back from the candors and the normal identification with them. Oh, this is our opportunity and we have the fasa to practice in this way. Practice jitta bhavana. To really set aside our distraction with the world, the delighting in the aversion for the world. And just keep bringing our mindfulness back to focus on this body and mind in the present moment. And really investigate the Dhamma. You can really use your time, don't have too many cares or concerns. If we want to practice all day or all night, we can. We have the support of the lay community. They've given us every kind of material support, every kind of well-wishing. You know, yesterday there's four or five hundred people here just well-wishing for us to use this opportunity to practice the Dhamma. They don't have the chance to practice like this, but we do, we're that fortunate. So it's now, it's our duty, you might say, we have to take this opportunity, really make it worthwhile. Whatever effort we put into bringing up mindfulness, bringing up wisdom, we're far more valuable than anything else we could do in life. There's nothing more valuable than the Dhamma. One who sees the Dhamma sees the Buddha. One who sees the Buddha sees the Dhamma. Really, there's nothing else that's important in this time, in this place. So I'll leave you with these words for your contemplation tonight.